Hello, and welcome to the Sunday Sermon Cast from Bethel Evangelical Free Church on Washington Island, Wisconsin. I'm Rick Smith, and I've been here at Bethel since 2016, enjoying this great church on this spectacular place off the northern tip of Door County, Wisconsin. This message comes from our Sunday morning service here on the island, and it's geared towards discovering what the Bible has to say to us in our everyday lives. So, God's blessing on you, and thanks for joining with us wherever you are today. You've undoubtedly heard of a place called Niagara Falls. It's in New York State, and it is a place which is beautiful. Water coming down these waterfalls and with such power, and, and it draws the, the interest and the fascination of many. And, and some along the way have said, hmm, what would it be like to, to walk across that? And uh, one guy in particular, a French acrobat named French Francois Gravelet, or better known as Monsieur Charles Blondin, uh, took this up in the 1850s. And, and uh, he, uh, he stretched a cable all the way across and, and did this several times. People would gather to watch that. Presidents came and, and even watched what he would do. And, and uh, the more confident he got with doing it, and even with the winds and the, and the, the mist that was there, he would, he would do all kinds of uh, acrobatic stuff there. He would do backflips and somersaults. And, and uh, one time, actually a couple of times, he, he brought a little grill out there and cooked an omelet and uh, took a, a little line and lowered it to the, the maiden of the mist that was beneath him there. And another time he sat on the, on the wire and took a, 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 another rope and, and brought up a drink from the same boat. Uh, such was what he did. But uh, a couple occasions he would bring a wheelbarrow and, and bring it over and um, he asked the, the it, is, it is told that he asked the people one time, do you, do you think I can carry someone on my back? And, and the people, they just, yeah, 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 you can do it, you can do it. It's like, do you really think I can carry someone on my back all the way there and back? And they like, yeah, 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 yeah. And it's like, all right, who wants to do it? And the crowd that was going wild before just became very silent. Because no one wanted to do it. Eventually, he had to take his manager to do it. And, and, and as he was doing it, he, he turns to him and says, All right, as we do this, you are not yourself. You are me. You cannot do anything. If you feel like we're going off balance, do nothing. Because I have this all in control. If you try to overbalance the other way, you're going to kill us. So you have to do whatever I'm doing and just pretend we're just here together. And so they did it back and forth. At, at some point, one of the guy wires that was holding and, and keeping the, the rope steady broke. And uh, even more so, he said, just trust we are in this together. Well, it took a lot of faith for that manager to do it. And, and as we think about faith, Faith is only real in our lives if it makes a difference in how we do things. Well, we can say that we believe something can happen, but when it comes to actually moving forward with it, our actions say everything. If I'm going to sit on a chair, I have to have faith that it's going to, to hold me. And the way I demonstrate that faith is to actually sit in it. And, and therefore, we see that it, it holds us. Faith is nothing if there's not actions that accompany it. And, and as we've been looking at the book of Hebrews, uh, our author has been talking to and writing to the people and telling them this 
is what our faith is grounded on, Jesus. And he compares Jesus to all the things that these people with a Jewish background would have understand fully. All the descriptions we have about what life is about and, and how we get ourselves right with God that are described in the Old Testament. The author says, Jesus fulfills all these things. Jesus is better than all these things. And he begins with even the, the beginning that in, in the past days, uh, God spoke to us through the prophets and, to, and through others. But now he speaks to us through the Son and how the Son is greater than angels and how the Son is greater than Moses, that how the Son is the great high priest who stands before us. He is also the great sacrifice that has been done for us. And again and again, he takes all these images from the Old Testament, it says, those are great. Those are part of God's picture of what coming to faith and trusting him is all about. But as great as all those things are, Jesus is better because he fulfills this once and for all. It's taken care of. And so we can walk this life not with, with trepidation, but with confidence. We can walk confidently in this life we can approach the throne of God itself because of what Jesus has done. And that's where we get ourselves to now that we enter Hebrews chapter 11. The pa passage that precedes this talked about how we could approach the most holy place of God and encourage us, therefore, to, to draw near to God. We can draw near to God with sincere hearts because of what Jesus has done. And we can look at one another and encourage one another and build each other up because this is about God doing his work in us. And there's a little bit of warning about those who would claim to have faith, and that's what we looked at last week. To remember that living this out means it does make a difference in our lives. And for those who deliberately keep on sinning and, and, and have an attitude towards God that even rejects him and wants nothing to do with him, this is, this is not okay. And so we talked last week about remembering what God has done in us, how we have stood our, our ground in the past, and God has been faithful to us. And it finishes off with uh, verse 39, but we do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed, but to those who have faith and are saved. So faith, it's a word that keeps coming up and again and again. And so now he begins to describe faith in some more detail. So if you have your Bibles, Hebrews chapter 11, uh, verses 1 to 6, we'll start off with. I'm reading in the, the revised New International Version. Now faith is confidence in what we hope for, and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command, so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. By faith, Abel, Abel brought, a, brought God a better offering than Cain did. By faith he was commended as righteous when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith, Abel still speaks even though he is dead. By faith, Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. And without faith, 
it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. So as he begins now to, to, to focus on faith, and again, the, the first 10 chapters have been all about who this Jesus is and what he has accomplished and how he is superior to all the other descriptions in the Old Testament. And again, those descriptions in the Old Testament are not bad. They were great, but Jesus is greater. And so now, having laid all the foundation for that and telling us we can approach the most holy places of God, we do this by faith. And, and, and what is faith? And he gives us this, this, this little definition of it. Faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Uh, two aspects he's trying to convey. Confidence in what we hope for. Uh, I, I love how the King James actually translates this. Uh, uh, so descriptive that, that, that substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things unseen. Isn't that descriptive? This, I mean, we think of substance. We think of something that we can hold and it's tangible. And, and yet, faith is the substance of what we hope for. And so, this is something we do not yet have. And yet, faith is this firm thing that we can grasp almost. And it's the evidence of things unseen. In a court of law, people pre present evidence and, and the judge and the jury can look at the evidence. But when it comes to God, the evidence we don't see because it's something that's going on in our hearts. The way it becomes visible and tangible, again, is through the actions that we live out and do. And so he enters in this great litany of people who have demonstrated it. They took this concept of who God is and, and it made a difference in their lives. And as verse 6 says, in, in, in reflecting on Enoch, who was able to please God, it is impossible to please God without faith because you've got to believe that God exists and we can't see God because he is spirit. So, so how can we do this? It's got to be by faith. And so this chapter goes on. As I was uh, working through the passage here, I, I highlighted all the words, uh, all the, the occurrences of the word by faith. And, and uh, they're in the red on my little sheet here. Uh, you can't see the words, I know, but you can maybe see a little red here. 25 times this phrase, faith, or by faith, occurs. And then I've got some green or some blue ones there. That, that's the promises of God. And and this is what's central to what faith is all about, to what these people are all about. As we read the rest of this text, listen for this phrase, by faith. And, and listen as well for uh, this repeated concentration on the promises of God. Because that's the core of what faith is all about. God has made promises. And those who believe him by faith. It makes a difference in their life. So in verse 7, it continues on. By faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear, built an ark to save his family. By his faith, he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that is in keeping with faith. By faith, Abraham, 
when called to go to a place he would later receive as in his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith he made his home in the promised land, like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. And by faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children because she considered him faithful who had been made the promise. And so from this one man, and he as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had embraced the promises was, was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead. And so, in a matter of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau in regard to their future. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of Joseph's sons and worshipped as he leaned on the top of his staff. By faith, Joseph, when his end was near, spoke about the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt and gave instructions concerning the burial of his bones. By faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born because they saw he was no ordinary child and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not fearing the king's ang anger. He, he persevered because he saw him who was invisible. By faith, he kept the Passover and the application of blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn would not touch the firstborn of Israel. By faith, the people passed through the Red Sea as an on dry land. But when the Egyptians tried to do so, they were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell after the army had marched around them for seven days. By faith, the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. And what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, and Jephthah, about David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. There were others who were tortured, refusing to be released so that they might gain an even better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. 
They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and in holes in the ground. These were all commended for their faith. Yet none of them received what had been promised, since God had planned something better for us, so that only together with us would they be made perfect. Uh, lots of stuff there, right? I mean, there's a sense where we could just take this chapter and do maybe a whole summer series on all the different characters that are described, looking at the passage, what she's referring to, and, and seeing how God worked and interacted with them. But there's something valuable in just kind of taking this whole big picture and, and putting it in line with this idea and description of what faith is about. And as he comes to all of these people and the circumstances they were in, the thing that is highlighted again and again is what? They did it by faith. They went through the things they went through by faith. So whether it's Abel, as he brings a sacrifice to God, he believes that God exists, and, and so he offers this sacrifice. So it was called by God a better sacrifice. And so we know today even of Abel because of what he did. Enoch, who pleased God in some ways so majestic, he, was, he, was, he wasn't even killed. And in the chapter in Genesis 5, where the repeated phrase there was, and he died. <laughs> Again and again, as every person is, that's born and lives, how many, how many ever years they live, it, it ends with, he did all these things, and then he died. And so whether it was uh, uh, Melchizedek or, or many of the others, they lived so long, and then he died. But Enoch somehow was taken by God specially. What did he do? Something about his faith in God. And again and again, all these descriptions, the walls of Jericho fall by faith. And he comes to the end, he says, I don't even have time to tell you about all this stuff. There's just so many awesome things that have happened. And, and think about all the things that have occurred. How, how, and reminding us of, of Daniel, how he shut the mouths of lions. And, and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who escaped the fury of the flames and and, and many were, were delivered from things amazingly. But it's not all about just being delivered and, and happy things happening and victories, although there are many of those. But there are also hardships and difficulties. Many people endured unthinkable things being done to them, but went through it on faith because to... To stand and walk away from God was unthinkable for them. And so they identified themselves with God himself. And, 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 and as we consider that, we, we, we can think through those who were Christians, who lived faithfully their lives for God in a world that was in opposition to them, that was saying, either repent from this, or either re retract your faith in Jesus or die and and they chose to die. Fox's Book of Martyr is a, a book which talks about many of the faithful people of God who endured suffering, who in the times of the, of the Romans, when they were put before the lions and, and whole groups of people, men, women, and children, and, and some of the excruciating choices and decisions they had to make, 
Uh, it, it is said in there that, that they would take the children and put them in a circle around the adults so that when the lions would come, they would, they would eat the children first. And you think, well, that's very cowardly of them. But that's the reason was when, when cats are, have had their full, they play with their food. And to prevent their children from enduring that kind of suffering, they took that on themselves. But they did not deny the Lord Jesus through this. This they did by faith. If we say we have faith in God, what difference does it make? Is there, is there, is there something tangible that happens? There, is there some way it makes a difference in our lives? In our country, we have, we have had such wonderful freedom for such a time, but uh, some of those things are passing away. Philip Yancey, in his book, What's So Amazing About Grace, uh, wrote this uh, some 20 or 30 years ago. He said, the culture war is underway. Ironically, every year the church in the United States draws closer to closer to the situation faced by the New Testament church, an embattled minority, minority living in a pluralistic pagan society. Christians in places like Sri Lanka, Tibet, Sudan, and Saudi Arabia have faced open hostility from their governments for years. But in the United States, with a history so congealed to the faith, congenial to the faith, we don't like it. And we don't. Uh, but we see this played out again and again before us. Uh, in, in the last couple of weeks, uh, there's a, a restaurant called Chick-fil-A. You might be familiar with it. And, and Chick-fil-A all over the years has, has made a practice of not being open on Sunday, uh, making that a day set apart for the Lord. And, and that has been the, the leaders and the owners' desire is that they, that they make these stands. And, and with the profits they have, they support all kinds of things. But this last week they were denied a place in the San Antonio airport because a report came out which said that they have given millions of dollars to anti-LGBTQ organizations. And, and the way the headline sounds is that they were targeting and looking for how can we attack the, the LGBTQ community? How can we, how can we get at them? But when you look at what they're supporting, the, the things that they supported were, were organizations like Fellowship of Christian Athletes and the Salvation Army and, and a boys' homes for, uh, for troubled youth. And because in each of those organizations there are stipulations and of, of living out your life in moral ways, the world looks at that and says, see, they're bad people because they're anti this. And all that to say is the things that we do as a result of our faith and, and, our, and our walk with the Lord in this day and age are construed, even with the best of intentions sometimes, as bad and evil things. Salvation Army is one of the most helpful organizations in, in the country and, and caring for those who, who, who have lost much in their lives. 
but giving to them is, is wicked. That's the scenario we face here. And, and, and in that kind of, uh, of light as, and that kind of, of description of, of how our actions are, what are we going to do with our faith? Will we stand firmly still with the Lord Jesus Christ? This becomes the, uh, the, our, our test as well. We understand why these things happen or how they're supposed to be happening other than the culture is moving more and more away from us and onto things that they think are, are tolerant and things that they perceive as intolerant are not to be tolerated and, and, and thus more and more will be the church of Jesus Christ. And so what do we do? Do we... Do we continue to be faithful to Jesus, to the call that he has, even when things go against us? We even think things are difficult. Uh, George Guthrie, uh, in his commentary, uh, writes, in, in essence, biblical faith involves people orienting their lives to God and his values against the perceived realities and values espoused by the world. I'll say that again. In essence, biblical value involves people orienting their lives to God and his values against the perceived realities and values espoused by the world. What's our orientation? What are we looking at and and being guided by in our life? What's the most important thing for us? And the element of faith that God exists and his work and his world matters, that his kingdom needs to come on this earth as it is in heaven. It orients us. We'll take a look at this a little further next week, but uh, I want to finish up here by just glancing at the, the first three verses of Hebrews 12. Because... In 12, he's saying, therefore, and when you see a therefore, it's, it's an indication that all the things he's been talking about, here's what I want you to see from that. And so based upon all the faithful people that have gone before us and, and how that God had planned something better for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect, he says then, therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. What's this great cloud of witnesses? It's all these people and actions that are described in chapter 11, all that God has done through people because of their faith, through their faith. Therefore, since we're surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. The direction he wants us to, to understand from this is that 
in the light of all that is going on, with this, this great cloud that has gone before us, that has done it right, have lived faithfully, even though they couldn't see the promise kept. We see the promise kept because of what Jesus has done and accomplished. They only had that as a hope, which was the definition, right? That faith is the, the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things unseen. They did that. They didn't even see Jesus yet. And now we who have seen Jesus, who have seen their actions, what is this call? For us to throw off the things that hinder us in walking faithfully with God. To, to throw off the sin that entangles our lives. Isn't that a great description? I think of, of some kind of rope or line that gets it wrapped, yourself wrapped around your, your feet, and, and so you maybe have to stumble along. You can't take full steps. Well, what, what do you need? You need to untangle that and get out from it so that you can run faithfully. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter, or the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame. Isn't that descriptive too? The shame that came to Jesus says he scorned it and now is seated at the right hand of God. And as we consider that, to help us in those times when we're growing weary and losing hearts. To remember what God has done in other people's lives. To remember the ways he's worked in our lives. And to continue to walk faithfully as we go forward. Reverend Robert Sirico, um, who uh, works with an organization called, uh, oh, now it's, that's off my mind, the, the Acton Institute. Um, he writes ab- about faith and, and life and, and, and economic practices and um, does it from a, a certainly a Christian perspective. And he writes about uh, Archbishop Van Tuan. He says, I, I first met the small, gentle Vietnamese priest in the outskirts of Rome when he was serving as a chaplain to a covent, convent of nuns. I only heard bits and pieces about his life prior to our first encounter, but then slowly began to realize I was in the presence of a spiritual giant. The somewhat frail man who stood before me in a nondescript reception room in the convent was the nephew of South Vietnam's first president, uh, Diem, and he had been made an archbishop, the Archbishop of Saigon, and he, uh, he came to be the archbishop there just as the Americans and others were leaving uh, Saigon. Um, The communists gave him a choice. They said, return to the north, North Vietnam, or go to jail. But he was was commissioned to be where he was, and so in obedience to his vows, he, he chose jail, which turned out to be 13 years of which, nine of which were in solitary confinement. He has journals and a biography and uh, journals that he wrote in, in both Italian and Latin because he was sure that the guards could read Vietnamese and many could read French. Um, so he just told them, I'm just keeping my language up because this is what I need to do. But in it was, was describing the things in his life. And 
And in those books, there's a passage written early in his imprisonment that speaks of deep despair and despondency. It was difficult for me to believe that this heroic and hopeful person could have been the same one who wrote those words. And so I asked about those passages, and he shook his head, remembering the day he made the entry. The entire world was falling down around me. My family and friends, my home, my diocese and freedom had all been taken from me. And, and I asked God how I could do his work in this place. It seemed so dark. Did God answer, I asked? Yes, eventually. He said, just do my will. That is the work I want you to accomplish. And I never despaired again. Just do my will. That's God's call for all of us. You know, we may say and think of ourselves, I'm not a hero. I'm not someone big in the faith. But what God uses is ordinary people like you and me. And the call for us is to live this out by faith. It is God's work and his promises that matter. Each of us in this room have a calling from God. And they're different from one another. Many of us are at different places in our lives, and we've walked down different paths to get here. But whatever has brought us here, the setbacks and the things that we've turned our, way, our back on God, but then have come to return to Him, the thing that matters now is, what is God calling you to today? What is He saying to you to live out by faith? Are there people to be contacted? Are, are there works to be done? I can't answer that for you, but to call you like Archbishop Bantuan, to be asking and talking to God and to listen. What is God calling you to do? And then the next step is to do it <laughs> because that's what faith is. Faith is putting into action the things that we say we believe. So what is your call? Let's stand for closing prayer. Father, this morning as we gather, we thank you for those who have gone before us that have demonstrated what it means to, to know you and to follow you, to do things that they couldn't do but could as you empowered them. And Lord, help us to not make this just an intellectual exercise, to just know about these people, but to stand alongside them as ordinary people with our flaws and our frailties and our weaknesses to recognize through you we are made strong. And if you are calling us to something, you are empowering us. Because in all of our stories, you are the hero. And so help us in our faith. Help us in our unbelief to be able to turn and to trust in you uh, this day and the days to come. Spirit of God, move in our midst and our hearts and our lives. 
We pray this in the name and the power of our brother and our Savior, Jesus the Christ. Well, thanks again for listening. And to learn more about how you can connect with Bethel Community Church, check out our website at islandbethelchurch.com or join us for a service Saturday night at 6 or Sunday morning at 1045. Hope to see you soon. God bless you.